Hey guys, Dana Cassell here, back with a new episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. And today, Laura Weimer and Melody Fitzgerald Foster from the Arlington Church of the Brethren are talking about the ways that protest can be an important part of discipleship. So as you listen to Jacob today, I'm going to invite you to think about this question. Do you consider protest to be a part of your participation in politics? Is it a part of your life of faith? What do you think? I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular. Don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat. Don't want to be ignorant. Don't want to be blindfolded. I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Belim, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. So, what do you think? Have you ever participated in a protest? What about a prayer vigil? Or a peace vigil? Are those part of the way you live out your faith? I found it really interesting to listen to Laura and Melody talk about how, for them, it is part of their faith. And I found myself thinking, well, they live really close to Washington, D.C. I bet they have a lot of opportunities to do that kind of good work. But then I heard Melody say that for the Families Belong Together March, there were over 700 events connected with that. So here's my challenge as you listen and learn. Think about where you might be able to do some of this work where you are. That's what I'm thinking about. And I hope you enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. Hi, everyone. Before we get into the interview in this episode, I just wanted to take a minute to highlight another Dunker Punks episode. This is episode 61, which recently came out. 
It's entitled Sanctuary. So in the episode, Dana talked with some members of the Umstead Park United Church of Christ. This episode provided information about sanctuary in the context of our current broken immigration and deportation system in the United States, and it demonstrated in an important way a church or other communities can make a difference by providing sanctuary. If you haven't listened to it, I highly encourage you to do so. So in this episode that um, you'll listen to just a tiny bit, I talked with Melody Fitzgerald Boster. We talked about her experience at a march slash rally that she went to in D.C. And this march focused on another aspect of immigration, specifically the separation of children from their parents as they cross the border. Many of you have probably heard about these policies, and so I wanted to talk with Melody about her experience. So this episode highlights another way to get involved and make a difference, specifically marching, protesting, and speaking out. All of these are also very important ways to speak up for and stand up for people who don't have a voice. So once again, I want to thank Melody for taking the time to be interviewed for this episode, and I hope you enjoy learning a little bit about the march. This is Laura again, and today I am here with Melody Fitzgerald Foster, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the Families Belong Together rally slash march. Melody attended this march, and this happened on June 30th, and so I'm just sitting down talking with her a little bit about it. Um, So Melody, thank you for joining me today. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit of what the march was about. Sure. So the Families Belong Together march slash rally was organized to protest the current U.S. presidential administration's zero-tolerance policy on undocumented migrants um, for illegal border crossing. So with this policy, families were separated, adults were incarcerated, and children were separated from their families and placed in detention facilities. Um, Some were in makeshift jail cells that were separated by chain-link fencing with only silver thermal blankets. Others were in these tent cities and like abandoned Walmarts and infant and toddlers were taken to baby jails basically. Mm -hmm. And when the press broke this policy, um, the president signed an executive order stopping the separation of families, but now it detains families together indefinitely. And it has not yet reunited the over 2000 children who were separated from their families at the border while the policy was in effect. So after this executive order, the focus of the rally turned to reunification of these families, especially since the government doesn't currently have a coherent process for you reuniting the families. Some of the children have been transferred like thousands of miles away from their parents, and some parents have already been deported back to their home countries while their children are still here in the U.S. So the rally really focused on the cruelty and the harm that this policy is inflicting on these families and calling on the government to stop this process and work to repair the trauma and reunite these families. Okay, well, thank you so much for giving that background information. And that march was in D.C., right? Yes. Okay. I went, I, so there were actually uh, 750 events all across wow. the country, okay. but I went to the one in okay. D.C. Okay, because we're right now speaking in Arlington, Virginia, so not too far away, but that's interesting. I didn't know that there were that many across the country. Yeah. Um, And so, as we said before, as I said before, um, this rally slash march happened on June 30th. And so, if you wouldn't mind telling me, who did you go with? So, I went with my husband, James, and my eight-month-year-old, Phoenix. It was Phoenix's first protest. 
that's really cool that you went with your family. Um, I was wondering if you could share anything, um, you know, your experience from the march. I'm sure it was pretty crowded. Um, I know it was really hot, and I know a lot of times it's hard to, you know, hear some of the speakers, but I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about your experience there. Sure. So the march in, I guess, nationwide was kind of organized by a joint group of organizations. Move On, the American Civil Liberties Union, the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. In D.C., they expected about 50,000 people, but it was in the 90s with like 90% humidity in D.C., so the crowds were closer to 30,000 people. In Washington, I heard that in Chicago, there were around 50,000, and in L.A., there were 70,000. And as I mentioned, there were about 750 events all across the country, everything from like five people in like a small town to like the 70,000 in um, L.A., so it was actually a really well-organized event as we took the metro the, there, and there were people outside the metro handing out protest signs if you didn't have any. And so we made our way to Lafayette Square, which is where the stage was set up. But we, having an eight-month-year-old, went yeah. straight to the shadiest spot possible, yeah. which happened to be the back of, the, of Lafayette Square. Okay. And so we couldn't see the screen. We couldn't see the speakers. We couldn't hear anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a little interesting. Okay. We were in a group with a lot of other families, though. Okay. So it was, there were a bunch of other children, some older than Phoenix. I saw definitely some other babies there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of chatted with them. And every once in a while, the chants from the front of the stage would make all their way back. And so then we'd start chanting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were groups who kind of marched through the crowds with their signs. But after about an hour, we decided we had to leave. Phoenix was a little tired and a little sleepy, and the heat was getting to us all. So we decided to leave, and as we walked up 16th Street, we they, there was a monitor and a speaker. So we were like, oh, we can hear. Let's stand in the shady spot. Um, and we heard from a couple of the people speaking at the march, and the one I remember most was Eliza Erber, who was a rabbinical pastor, an immigrant, and a Holocaust survivor, and she was talking about how when she was just eight months old, she was separated from her mother for two years as they went into hiding during the Holocaust, and she described the fear and the trauma that impacts her to this day Mm -hmm. from that, and she was eight months old when she was separated from her mother, so two years later, this woman came to pick her up, and she didn't know who this woman was. You know, she'd lost two years of bonding, two years of, like, crucial young bonding and I was there with Phoenix at the time and I had her like strapped to me Mm -hmm. in one of those baby Bjorn things and I was just like hugging her and just crying like Mm -hmm. imagining someone separating me from Phoenix and so Mm -hmm. that was just very impactful Mm -hmm. and thinking that even even this person who was separated from their mother for a good reason to save their lives Mm -hmm. is still feeling the effect and the trauma so Mm -hmm. that was very impactful for me. Yeah, thank well, thank yeah, thank you for sharing that. And imagine that would be an impactful experience for many, but especially having such a young child at that event. And you know, you shared some personal information there. I was wondering if you would share a little more about your personal motivation for going, um, especially given the fact that it was so hot, really humid, it was really bad um, temperatures that weekend. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about really what drove you to go. Sure. So. 
a lot of things motivated us to go. One of them is that ICE has really been destroying families mm -hmm. for years. Um, it's really ramped up its raids, particularly in the D.C. metro area since this um, presidential administration took over and has been tearing families apart for a while. You know, it's kind of just a really terrible situation overall, and I haven't really been able to join any protests or planned actions around that. And then when the news broke about these children in cages, I thought, you know, if I can't go to a march mm -hmm. about babies in cages, like, what what worth do I have? You know, sure, like, this yeah. is kind of the lowest bar of terrible things. Right. And right. Um, there have been a lot of people, you know, who said, like, history's watching us, you know, this is uh, the first step, like people always talk about what you would do if you were alive during mm -hmm. World War II, what you mm -hmm. would do if you were alive during the civil rights movement. And it's like, well, we have babies in cages. Mm -hmm. So like, what would you do if you were alive then? So that mm -hmm. was really kind of the um, emotional motivation for me going. Mm -hmm. Another motivation is that um, my husband and I really want to see want Phoenix to see protesting as part of the political process. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, I didn't really think of protesting as part of the political process. I saw it as like something that fringe people mm -hmm. did. Um, even though I did go to some protests because peace vigils, mm -hmm. I went to peace vigils and those are a form of protest. So I really just, we want to normalize this as part mm -hmm. of the political process. You know, you get engaged, you vote, you hold your representatives accountable and you protest. And those are like the spectrum of the political process and we really wanted Phoenix to be engaged mm -hmm. as early as possible. And it felt really important since the march was about bringing families together, keeping them together for my whole family to go. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's really neat experience that Phoenix will be able to have experience, probably, you know, won't remember, but yeah, we'll have to, to begin. Phoenix, remember when. Sure, but that's really neat that you were able to, you know, give Phoenix that experience at such a young age and I'm sure continue on as they grow older. So I was wondering, you know, sort of my last question and feel free if you have any more thoughts, I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about your view of the connection of the March and the um, current immigration policies as you see it as a member of the Church of the Brethren specifically, but also in relation to Christianity or religion even more broadly. Yeah, sure. So the Church of the Brethren actually is one of the congregations that put out a statement about this policy separating families at the border and calling on the administration to stop it. And they started with their statement started with the verse Matthew twenty five thirty five, which I'm going to read here. Sure. So I'm actually going to start at 31. This is the judgment of the nation. So this is Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he went to sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when it was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, 
Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are a member of my family, you did it to me. So I think (laughs) that really says Mm -hmm. it all. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls us to treat every single person, every human, as Jesus himself, as um, says that whatever we do to them, we do to him. So, I mean, he mentions being naked. He mentions Mm -hmm. being in jail. So I really Mm -hmm. think this is what the church is called to do. Mm -hmm. And then actually today, our um, guest speaker mentioned Luke 4, um, verses 16 through 21. This is when Jesus was in the temple for the first time and he speaks and he's reading Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus goes on to say, like, in me, this scripture is fulfilled. So just thinking, you know, Jesus is talking about like what his mission is, and it's Mm -hmm. to release the captives, Mm -hmm. it's to proclaim the good news. So I think really that, to me, this bringing justice Mm -hmm to the downtrodden, to those who have no power, is really at the heart of the gospel. I see that as being called. I felt very called. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I also got inspiration from another theologian, um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mm -hmm. who whenever I think I don't really know how to articulate something, you know, he's probably like the most noted theologian that everyone has read. And so I thought about the letter from the Birmingham jail where he talks mm-hmm. about just just laws and how if, well, he talks about how injustice anywhere is a threat to justice anywhere. And he, he talks about, um, so he was written by actually Christian pastors who told him that his work in Montgomery was, I'm sorry, his work in Birmingham was breaking the law and, you know, they should really tone it down basically. And he gives them a little lesson on um, how it's a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law of God, and an unjust law is a code of out of harmony with the moral law. So just thinking that a lot of people have said, well, this is legal in response to this policy, and it's just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's moral or right. And so um, I think that we are called to treat all humans as children of God. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And um, today our guest preacher was talking about don't necessarily have to be a prophet, but you can um, prophesy. Prophesy? Yes. So I thought that was interesting, you know, just because we're not necessarily prophets, or I shouldn't speak for you, but I don't know if, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a prophet. I wouldn't consider myself a prophet um, either. You can still speak up about certain things, and I think that that's, you know, going to a march or rally, whatever, that is definitely one way to, I think, be a prophet or one way to prophesize and um, support those who who really are um, organizing these kind of things. So I think yeah. that that's great. And so I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your motivation, because I know even as we speak right now, the administration is asking for a you know extension on putting families together. So, And I think what I hope is that there's a focus, obviously, on this continued um, moment and this mm-hmm. man-made disaster, like humanitarian mm-hmm. disaster that we created and really that the motivation 
to see these families reunited and also to see these families healed, give them mm -hmm. what they yeah. need um, to repair this trauma, but also that we take this motivation to look at the other children that we keep in cages every day. So mm -hmm. we're thinking about our justice system, yeah. mm -hmm. which is very broken and, um, you know, keeps children mm -hmm. incarcerated. And yeah. so how we take, you know, this kind of general swell that says children, babies shouldn't yeah. be in cages and mm -hmm. apply that to, you know, really no humans should be in cages. Right. So how right. do we create a restorative justice system that really really upholds the dignity of all humans that are made in God's image. So right. the Church of the Brethren has always been really proactive in calling, reminding um, governments of the dignity of humans and mm -hmm. um, particularly in their witness against the death penalty mm -hmm. and their further witness against our very broken justice system. Mm -hmm. So just thinking about how we expand obviously focus on sure, this one sure. disaster and then expand that wider and take this motivation larger. Well, again, thank you for sitting down sure. with me and, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And so I'll, um, if you want to further connect with me, you can connect with me on Twitter. It's probably the best way. Okay. My, um, username is Melody spelled like music, M E L O D Y underscore fits F I T Z. Um, mm -hmm. and once this podcast goes out, I'll tweet out some resources for you all. I'll tweet out the church's statement. If you haven't already read that, the church of the brethren statement mm -hmm. and a couple other churches statements along with some resources. If you want, to get involved cool. um, and help out in this. Great, thank you. In addition to the information Melody provided in the interview, she also gave me some great resources, some of which she highlighted during our interview. Hopefully we can link some of them to this episode if anyone is interested in reading and learning more about this topic. So one in particular that I wanted to highlight that I feel like is an especially great wealth of information is titled Interfaith Toolkit to End Family Separation and Keep Families Together. It's a very extensive document and it provides some background information on the policy decisions related to the separation of children from their parents. Um, it has some frequently asked questions about this issue. It also includes some stories of families who have been impacted by the inhumane policies. It also has links to faith statements condemning the separation of families, and it also has a lot of additional resources related to this issue for um, further reading. So one particular section from the document I particularly wanted to highlight is titled Top 8 Ways for Faith Communities to Take Action. So I just wanted to briefly mention some of the ones that they listed. Um, the document elaborates a lot more on all of these different ways and provides some great information if you or a church community or faith community is interested in pursuing these. So these are just some ways that individuals or larger faith communities can um, speak out and make a difference. So the first one is to call members of Congress to tell Congress to stop separating families and to protect family unity. Another is to attend mobilization efforts against these harmful policies, which is exactly what Melody and her family did. Another is amplify on social media. Uh, another is to write opinion editorials for local media outlets. Could also sign petitions. Can also donate money that um, goes to both on the ground work, but also advocacy work and then also volunteering for organizations that are working to help individuals impacted by these policies. So these action points that I just mentioned 
Melody's attendance at the Families Belong Together March and the Umstead Park United Church of Christ Sanctuary efforts show that individuals and congregations can and should stand up to injustice. So thank you guys for listening. Melody and Laura shared a bunch of resources for the ways that you and I might think about getting involved and standing up for our neighbors who might be undocumented, who might be fleeing violence or lack of safety, our neighbors who are coming here looking for something. I invite you to check out those resources. You'll probably find them on our website and our Twitter feed later as this episode gets posted and shared. But I thought it would also be interesting to think a little bit more deeply about a particular resource that we have as brethren and as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Scripture is really important to me as I figure out how to live life in pursuit of justice and Jesus. And one of the scriptures that was cited in the Church of the Brethren's statement about the current immigration policies is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And here's part of that chapter. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. This is a really common formulation in the Old Testament. God tells the Israelites, God's people, that they should love the foreigners and the refugees and the immigrants because they know what it was like to be strangers in a foreign land. You remember the Israelites were cast out of their home. There's several times that that happens in the history of God's people, but God always uses that to say, you should care for immigrants. You should take care of refugees. You should love the foreigners because you know what it's like to be a foreigner. And as I've been thinking about our state of immigration in the United States and how our country is really failing pretty spectacularly to love foreigners, I was also thinking about our own tradition and the Church of the Brethren, and it struck me that our tradition is an immigrant. Do you know this story? The first brethren were treated as criminals in their home country of Germany. They were arrested and imprisoned. They, too, were often separated from their children and their families. They got in all this trouble because they felt Jesus calling them to baptize one another as consenting adults and to read scripture together in their homes and not necessarily simply obey the laws of the church just because they were the laws of the church. And in order to follow Jesus the way they were being called to do, our ancestors in the Church of the Brethren left their home. They fled religious persecution. They brought their families from Germany here to America in search of relief and safety and freedom to worship God and live their lives following Jesus the way Scripture was telling them to do. And this is really fascinating to me because you and I may or may not think of ourselves, our own identities, as immigrants, but our religious tradition is a refugee. If we identify with the Brethren movement, then we identify with being immigrants. Our history as Brethren is one of being forced out of our homes and compelled to seek safety in a new country. And so when I hear those words of scripture, God telling the Israelites to love the foreigners because you too were once foreigners, I hear a call for us too. Couldn't that be God saying to us, brethren, 
Hey, brethren, you know what it's like to be forced out of your home, to flee, to seek safety for yourself and your family in a brand new place where you don't know anybody, you don't speak the language, you don't have any resources. You know what that's like. And so you should be practicing love of other, love of foreigner, love of immigrant, love of refugee. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners too. I hope that this episode and hearing from Laura and Melody has maybe made you start to think about what ways you can practice that love. Maybe there's a protest you can join. Maybe you can do some of the other things mentioned in that interfaith toolkit. Maybe you can call your representative or learn more about what's actually happening. Maybe there's a prayer vigil that God is asking you to organize. Maybe your congregation is connected already with an organization working to bring families back together and to seek justice and care for those who are foreigners. There are a million ways to practice this part of our discipleship. I invite you to listen for what God might be calling you to do. Y'all know that the Dunker Punks podcast is produced by a host of people who are committed to following in the peaceful, simple, foreigner-loving, radical way of Jesus. Suzanne Lay is our executive producer. I'm Dana Cassell, your host for this episode. Our audio today was edited by Kevin Schatz. And if you want to be more involved with us, there are a whole lot of ways you can be. We are looking to hire a paid intern with the help of Honor Peace, and you can find out more about that on our website at arlingtoncob.org slash DPP. We'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, share an episode on social media, recommend us to a friend. If you'd like to think about being a contributor to the podcast or maybe helping us with some shareable social media pieces, let us know. You can email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. You can find us on Twitter at Dunker Punks Podcast. Blessings to each of you, Dunker Punks. May you find ways today and each of the coming days to practice that love of the foreigner that God calls us to over and over. <laughs>